0: Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. The mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. We talk about Thanksgiving, but one of the great gifts that Chesterton gave me, and I think gives anybody that reads him, is he gives us thanks for being thankful. In other words, it's about gratitude. It's about wonder. And the wonder of Chesterton is the fact that he taught me to wonder. Chesterton is wonderful because he's wonderful. (laughs) Because he's full of wonder. He takes nothing for granted. He sees life as a gift. What you just heard there was the author Joseph Pierce talking about uh, the writer G.K. Chesterton. Uh, I read Pierce's uh, biography of Chesterton a little while ago, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, If you don't know who Joseph Pierce is, he's uh, worth looking into just on his own. Um, He actually was a neo-Nazi white supremacist, went to prison a number of times, um, and during his second prison stay, uh, he uh, converted to Catholicism, and now he is a writer and uh, an advocate for Um, goodness, truth, and beauty. So what an amazing story right there. Um, He's written biographies of C.S. Lewis and uh, Shakespeare, written a lot about the works of Tolkien. Um, So Joseph Pierce, he's worth looking into. But he is not the topic of conversation today. G.K. Chesterton is uh, the topic of his biography. Um, And G.K. Chesterton absolutely uh, embodied wonder. He was this big jovial man. I sort of um, really think of him as the precursor to C.S. Lewis. They're very similar in a lot of ways and Lewis was very inspired by G.K. Chesterton. but Chesterton himself was a, a writer and a journalist. If, if anybody knows him these days, it's mostly for his apologetics. He wrote a book called Orthodoxy, which is very famous at least in um, in Catholic circles. So you may have heard of him from, from that, uh, or you've encountered his quotes. He's one of these uh, writers like C.S. Lewis who is eminently quotable um, sometimes misquoted uh, sometimes the quotes out of context um, don't quite make sense but he had that wonderful turn of phrase that uh, people either love or hate um, paradoxes he sort of would be very witty um, but you know during his time he wasn't just an apologist not wasn't just a catholic writer and actually he ended up converting quite late in life um, partially thanks to his uh, wife's sort of stalwart anglicanism but they both ended up converting Um, but he In his lifetime he really was uh, a prominent journalist uh, on all sorts of topics not just religion he um, engaged in many debates with um, with atheists with all kinds of people he wrote about culture he really it's actually amazing sort of the uh, sort of the forward-thinking nature of his works about how he he sort of foresaw all the events of World War II and uh, really predicted a lot of things quite accurately that would happen in the culture um just a really really interesting figure and on a personal level, um, he's just I, I just I think he's he's incredibly charming. He really had a very a very childish heart in the best way um, and uh, loved common sense but also just uh, had had such admiration for fantasy and whimsy and um Good times, good jokes. Uh, he he never he never turned down a pint <laughs> uh, in his honor. Right now, um, I'm drinking a nice a nice dark stout. Um, I've heard that dark beer is good for milk production when you're breastfeeding. Don't anybody tell me that's not true because I'm really taking that to heart. So, uh, gonna drink drink this pint while I, I talk about G.K. Chesterton today. Um, but in this biography, I, I really loved most really learning about him as as, as a person, not just about his works. Um, so you have to picture this booming, large, childlike man um, who just sort of everybody couldn't help falling in love with. He was just so charming. Um, and he approached things with uh, good humor and respect, which I also admire very much, um, even when uh, his intellectual opponents, he would uh, he would bring a certain amount of respect and understanding uh, to these things that I think we, we see severely lacking in public discourse today. He uh, died in the mid-1930s, but as I said, he was um, very forward-thinking, really accurately predicted a lot of things that were going to happen. Um, over the course of the 20th century and the 21st century um, about culture and Western civilization and the family, all sorts of things. Um, I was also especially moved in this biography um, about uh, learning about the relationship with his wife Frances Um, and you know if there was any sort of hesitancy in his eventual conversion it was really only because he didn't want to leave her behind in her Anglicanism Um, but she actually was the first one to introduce him to Christianity at all. Uh, but they had sort of just this, this joyful, loving marriage. Uh, they really hoped for children, but it never happened. But they had all sorts of nieces and nephews, um, some of whom they were related to, many of whom they were not. Um, just these great stories about their neighbors who had, um, I think, four daughters, and they really became second parents to them. And uh, they, he was known as um, Uncle Chestnut to many many children. Um, his endless imagination and puppet shows and stories, and he wrote these wonderful letters uh, to children. And uh, I just I just love love his um, his zest for life, his wonder in the world. So uh, the reason I wanted to talk about Chesterton today is because my book club recently. Um, I recently did some readings from him, um, specifically chapter 5 of his book, Orthodoxy, called um, The Flag of the World, uh, in which he talks about patriotism and patriotism uh, generally, and also uh, the idea of the cosmic patriot, of feeling sort of a patriotic duty toward the world itself. So shout out to Joanna, who uh, picked these readings. This is a book club uh, that started almost uh, three years ago now um, out of a blessed is she group from our parish, from the Basilica. Uh, So um, just so grateful that we continue to meet and read amazing things. And unfortunately this time I had to sort of dash out of our meeting uh, sooner than I would have liked um, because uh, the baby right now does not want to go to bed for uh, bedtime unless I'm there to nurse her. So (laughs) I had to get back and uh, relieve Chris. of a sad baby so I didn't get to sort of um get all my thoughts out there so uh you all get to hear them um instead of just my book club so um so I had a lot of thoughts um about uh about, about this idea of the cosmic patriot but um first of all let me just uh welcome anybody who is new to the podcast. Um, if you're listening for the first time, this uh, is a podcast that focuses on the good, the true, and the beautiful. We uh, discuss art and books and literature and animals and nature and pretty much anything and everything that inspires wonder, awe, uh, and gratitude in the world. Uh, we also have some fun episodes on um like the movies of Lily James, uh, one about Groundhog Day, uh, so it, use that wonder term lightly because I think that there are lots of pretty pretty much anything can inspire wonder if you are in the right mood, so um, we really focus in on that. Um, let's get started on uh, our topic of the day, which is the idea of the Cosmic Patriot. So Chesterton starts this chapter um, by differentiating between optimists and pessimists and he basically says that both have a Fundamentally uh, incorrect view of the world. He says the optimist thought everything good except the pessimist and the pessimist thought everything bad except himself so basically uh, The optimist and the pessimist are both extremes and when you apply them uh, Apply the idea of being an optimist or a pessimist to uh, to the idea of patriotism. You um, Either have somebody who's uh, overly naive or unable to see the flaws in uh, In in one's own country or you have the pessimist who sort of just hates Hates things for the sake of hating them um, without any real uh, any real pride or joy in where they come from. So both of those views in Chesterton's eyes um, are wrong, um, and he 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 likens the idea of patriotism to uh, t- to the idea of being born into the world uh, without basically uh, ha- having permission <laughs> uh, without without having asking. F- without having asked for it, uh, you you are a citizen of the world whether you like it or not. And in a similar way, you're born into a country and uh, that's your country, whether you like it or not. Um, he says, quote, a man belongs to this world before he begins to ask if it's nice to belong to it. He has loyalty long before he has any admiration. So this idea of being loyal to the world, of loving the world in spite of not having chosen it. Um, this is an idea that he he expands from love of country to love of the world to love of life itself he he brings it back to this idea that um, that patriotism uh, is a useful concept in in understanding Uh, understanding the universe and our place in it he says quote my acceptance of the universe is not optimism it is more like patriotism it is a matter of primary loyalty the world is not a lodging house at Brighton which we are to leave because it is miserable it is the fortress of our family with the flag flying on the turret and the more miserable it is the less we should leave it and then he this is where he coins this phrase that I like so much he says optimism and pessimism are alike arguments for the cosmic patriot this idea of being a cosmic patriot he goes on to, again, sort of differentiate between optimists and pessimists and why both sort of have a fundamental misunderstanding of the world. Um, he, he definitely leans, to, leans toward optimism, but even, even he recognizes that optimism has its flaws as well because um, a sort of blind optimism can uh, keep you from recognizing important facts about the world that need to be changed and that need to be faced some harsh realities. Um, he says that we must have a primal loyalty to life, and then he asks, the only question is, shall it be a natural or supernatural loyalty? He goes on to talk about the idea that um, he loves England in spite of many of the things she has done and not because of many of the things she has done. Um, you know, he says that there are many good things, but that's not why he loves England. Uh, and he also feels free to, to, to criticize uh, his country. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's loyal through the good and the bad, um, and there isn't one reason that he loves England, there's not, he can't point to a historical moment or something that the English Empire has done that says, check, now I am loyal to England, it's sort of a, um, an innocent, uh, just taken for granted sort of loyalty to the, to, to his country, that's um, sort of a foreign concept these days if you think about um, this is really the idea of unconditional love really is what he's talking about and we certainly don't hear that applied uh, to, to love of country anymore much less to almost anything um, even the world itself and he does have um, a pretty uh, intense discussion in this chapter about suicide where Ch- Chesterton doesn't quite I think understand um, or at least doesn't convey uh the value of sort of some of the the darker sides of life of the despair of the of the um why have you forsaken me of the pain in the garden of gethsemane this is also part of of faith and um i don't think he that's not his faith though he he is a he is a he is a um he is an optimistic soul despite what he he says about um about uh optimists being flawed he 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 can't really understand uh the 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 value of of sort of uh, of despair um and he's, he he likens suicide to sort of a uh, an ultimate betrayal uh betrayal of of the soul of of that cosmic Patriotism toward the universe, toward, toward the world, toward life itself, and I think he is correct in saying that. But some of his language is a is a little harsh. Um, but um, I really there's here's a great line from this from this essay. He says, "Love is not blind. That is the last thing that it is. Love is bound, and the more it is bound, the less it is blind." And here's where he's talking about how um, one should feel free to to criticize, to change, to alter, to um point out uh, reality to to not be afraid to confront things when they when they aren't perfect um because if you love something you love it enough to change it he says what we need is not the cold acceptance of the world as a compromise but some way in which we can heartily hate and heartily love it we do not want joy and anger to neutralize each other and produce a surly contentment we want a fiercer delight and a fiercer discontent we have to feel the universe at once as an ogre's castle to be stormed and yet as our own cottage to which we can return at evening and this is something if you listen to joseph pierce's um, lectures on youtube um, very easy to find he talks a lot about uh, chesterton's paradoxes which he loves so much and he uses those all the time paradoxes one this is the world is an ogre's castle and also your your cozy cottage that you come home to every night and um, this is also if you've ever read george weigel he wrote um probably most well known for his, uh, his excellent gigantic biography of, uh, Pope John Paul II, um, but he also wrote a great collection, um, called Letters to a Young Catholic, which I really recommend, but he talks about the both end of Catholicism, of faith, how things are, are both often seemingly contradictory, that there's always sort of an opposing quality to balance something else, that le- that faith is paradoxical, that, um that that we have a both and faith a yes and faith we we don't have have a have a faith that that doesn't allow for these contradictions and i think that chesterton is uh, is is alluding to that here and again he says you know can we hate it enough to change it and yet love it enough to think it worth changing he talks about martyrdom and how how the, that is the opposite of uh, what a suicide is doing um he talks about sacrifice he he, die, he says the martyr dies that something may live um, suicide is the opposite of a martyr um, a martyr is a man who cares so much for something outside him that he forgets his own personal life a suicide is a man who cares so little for anything outside him that he wants to see the last of everything that's some of that language that i don't love um that's just a little harsh i think and that quite doesn't doesn't quite understand uh necessarily what somebody contemplating suicide is thinking but um i i i do agree with that sort of dichotomy of of um you know two people who are who are dying to the self um but one is sort of awash in the self just totally consumed by the self in the case of suicide and the martyr has sort of denied the self um in favor of a, of, of a, lo- a love of, uh, of God, but also a love of the world, a love of changing the world, of sacrificing yourself for the world, um, loving it so much um, to, to give up your life for it. He goes on to have a, um, an interesting uh, discussion about um, the limits of nature worship because he talks about, you know, how we love the world, but there has to be sort of a, a healthy distancing from the world. If you've if you listened if you to this podcast from the beginning, you'll remember one of my early episodes, actually one of my favorite episodes, um, about uh, the piece of wild things, um, taking that from a Wendell Berry poem, my, one of my favorite poems. Um, But about how um, man is both part of nature, but also outside of nature. And um, I talk about in the episode how C.S. Lewis, but also Helen MacDonald, who wrote H is for Hawk, talks about how we, nature is a very um, elusive god, (laughs) a very unreliable god, Um, you could be be you know having some sort of beautiful peaceful moment, uh, bathing in a river at sunrise, and the next you could be being uh, devoured by a wild animal, and both of those are ac- acceptable in the sort of moral universe of nature, which is uh, which is red in tooth and claw, which is which is um, violent and uh, and primal and not necessarily reflective of. The moral realities of, um, of of a human being with a with a knowledge of good and evil, with a with a soul. Uh, so that's uh, Chesterton talks about that as well, and how one is how difficult it can be to love creation, but also recognize uh, that we are outside of creation. Um, and this is actually some of the, the greatest uh, sort of explanations of Christian theology here. I think um, so. I'm going to read sort of. It's a long paragraph, but I think it's worth reading in full. He says, The answer was like the slash of a sword. It sundered. It did not in any sense sentimentality unite. Briefly, it divided God from the cosmos. That transcendence and distinctiveness of the deity which some Christians now want to remove from Christianity was really the only reason why anyone wanted to be a Christian. It was the whole point of the Christian answer to the unhappy pessimist and the still more unhappy optimist. As I am here only concerned with their particular problem, I shall indicate only briefly this great metaphysical suggestion. All descriptions of the creating or sustaining principle in things must be metaphorical because they must be verbal. Thus the pantheist is forced to speak of God in all things as if he were in a box. Thus the evolutionist has in his very name the idea of being unrolled like a carpet. All terms, religious and irreligious, are open to this charge. The only question is whether all terms are useless or whether one can, with such a phrase, cover a distinct idea about the origin of things. I think one can, and so evidently does the evolutionist, or he would not talk about evolution. And the root phrase for all Christian theism was this, that God was a creator, as an artist is a creator. A poet is so separate from his poem that he himself speaks of it as a little thing he has thrown off. Even in giving it forth, he has flung it away, the principle that all creation and procreation is a breaking off is at least as consistent through the cosmos as the evolutionary principle that all growth is a branching out a woman loses a child even in having a child all creation is separation birth is as solemn a parting as death so that was a lot to take in and i know his language can be he's actually sort of hard to read out loud um uh, but so that was a lot to take in but I want to reread just that last part because that's really what um, what what drove home to me uh, what what Christianity is all about um, he, he just captures it so well I think um, God was a creator as an artist is a creator God was a creator as an artist is a creator all creation and procreation is a breaking off a woman loses a child even in having a child all creation is separation birth is as solemn a parting as death so this idea that the world um, you know god made the world and it is good but also that god in making the world made it quite separate from himself um, and so there is a way to be a part of the world, to love the world, but also not to worship the world. Um, and I think that this idea of creation is separation. Um, and even in, you know, you see this reflected in many other religions as well. Creation and destruction are sort of linked. And, uh, you know, the idea that um, giving birth, um, a woman is... Is having a child but she's losing that child and I as someone who recently gave birth that really um, struck me uh, very much um, as being true uh, because you you sort of you have this child inside you in a very intimate way uh, in your body um, and you're sort of one with them in a way that you'll never be again and in the act of giving birth and sort of the 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 um, the end of this creative act is, is a final separation. Uh, so I think that that, that, that is very true. Um, so this idea of being a cosmic patriot, of loving the world, but also being able to criticize the world and also um, be separate from the world, even as we, even as we, we love it with this primal loyalty that he talks about. Um, Chesterton says, quote, I had found this hole in the world, the fact that one must somehow find a way of loving the world without trusting it. Somehow, one must love the world without being worldly. He goes on to say, um, the Christian optimism is based on the fact that we do not fit in the world. I had learned that man is a monstrosity. I myself was at once worse and better than all things, and here we again have this yes and thing, this both and things, um, mankind is at once worse and better than all things, that's just true, it's hard to capture why that's true, but it is, and there, this is just the great last line of, of, of the chapter, I knew now why grass had always seemed to me as queer as the green beard of a giant, and why I could feel homesick at home. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode um, all about G.K. Chesterton. Uh, that was literally, you know, we, I just sort of went off of one chapter from the book Orthodoxy, so you can imagine just how much... Uh, how much there is to talk about in the whole book and um, he also you may be familiar with him from his father Brown stories um, a, a priest detective who's sort of this f- bumbling fumbling sort of priest um, and uh, ends up solving all these mysteries very charming I actually haven't read many myself but um, I, I know the character and uh, Joanna from my book club actually gave us one to read, um, the Blue Cross, and it contains one of my favorite Chesterton quotes, and I didn't actually know where the Chesterton quote was from, and it's uh, that, the most incredible thing about miracles is that they happen so that's that's very characteristic of uh, people's knowledge about Chesterton including mine is that you may know many of his quotes and have no idea where that quote is from so um, hopefully this was a good introduction and you can go read some more Chesterton um, maybe with a nice pint in his honor Um, my recommendations today uh, are going to be two other podcasts Um, one is called if you just look up the liturgy of the hours sing the hours um, paul rose's podcast it's an amazing amazing service really that he's doing here so the liturgy of the hours is sort of this universal prayer of the church um that uh is is sung in the morning and in the evening um and and louds uh and this is a way to uh listen in and he chants them and it's just really beautiful and for people like me people like everybody really everybody's so busy um but i can put put Earphones on while I'm nursing the baby in the morning or at night, and um, listen to this and feel like I'm participating in uh, the universal prayer of the church. Um, it's it's really really wonderful principio et et And my next recommendation is the Irish and Celtic music podcast. All of you know that I am a huge uh, lover of all things Celtic. Um, I love Celtic music. Um, a few years ago, I took up the fiddle. I haven't played literally in a year um, with pandemic shutting down my, my regular lessons and then the baby coming along. But um, I, I love it so much and I, I love Irish music and always a guaranteed way to, to make my day better. So this is a great way to discover um, modern, um, modern uh, Irish and Celtic uh, uh, singer, songwriters, musicians, um, just look up the Irish and Celtic music podcast. Um, and just a fun story of how I discovered that is that I was listening to another podcast called Speaking with Joy, a wonderful podcast uh, hosted by Joy Clarkson. And she um, is going through right now the amazing book Piranesi, who I did a podcast on, um, which which I did a podcast on um, early on, amazing book by Susanna Clark. And one of her guests, um, Malcolm Geat, I think that's how you say his last name, um, amazing guest. Uh, they really linked the story to the rhyme of the ancient. Mariner and just fascinating conversation and I looked him up on Twitter and he talked about how when he gets in the car with his kids he always puts on the Irish and Celtic music podcast and so obviously I had to look that up. So you know you discover all the just connections everywhere um, if if you look for them and I'm continually as frustrated as I get sometimes um, I'm continually uh, reminded of of the potential goodness of the internet and social media um, when I discover amazing things like this. So I hope that you'll look it up and uh, and bring some fun Irish music into your day. So I'll, I'll end this episode with um, the quintessential uh, <laughs> Irish music scene um, that we all know and love, which is the scene in Titanic. Um, we'll just have that, that play us out. Um. I think the official uh, title for it is Party on Third Class or Third Class Dance, so you can enjoy that. You can hear that Josie is uh, getting ready to hear it too. Um, As always, you can follow along with me, just go to bornofwonder.com, you can contact me there, read essays, um, follow along with any of my other audio work. and uh, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for the reviews. I've gotten some some recent some recent reviews from you all, and I appreciate them so much. Uh, so if you have time today, just take a few minutes and and leave a star review and a comment if you can. It really helps the podcast to show up and gain new listeners, and it just means a lot to me personally. So, thank you so much. I'm Katie Marquette, and you've been listening to Born of Wonder. So you want to go to a real party? <laughs> There is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, Let there be light. The mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing.